The grass withers and the flower fades. Blackman Baptist Church. We've moved through the book of Isaiah. We've, we've tried to be uh, careful where it mattered and where it may be a little unclear to take note of, of who's speaking in the passage. And uh, sometimes it's been Isaiah directly speaking. Sometimes it's God speaking to His people. Uh, sometimes it's the voice of the servant to come. And then we have to pay attention to the timing. Uh, sometimes it's, it's Isaiah's present day. Sometimes he's referring back to the Exodus. Sometimes he's referring forward to, to the exile that is to come and the recovery after the exile. And sometimes even to the coming of the Messiah later and even the Messiah's second coming. So Isaiah's book can be a little confusing and we try to be very careful about that. Today we're going to be in Isaiah 44. And the topic is actually a little more straightforward. Yeah, the voice is Isaiah's speaking, uh, speaking from God's perspective, but it's Isaiah's voice. And the truth is timeless. It doesn't really depend on, on the actual time period. We're going to be talking about the folly of idolatry today. And when we read this, we can nod along with Isaiah. We can even smile at his harsh irony that he uses in this passage. But if we're going to honor God's Word, we can't stop there just smiling amusedly at these poor fools. We have to turn the mirror of Scripture on our own lives to see where we need to respond to. That's a, that's a principle we learn from James. That we, that we must not only be hearers, but doers. We have to use this Scripture as a mirror on our own hearts. So let's pray and then we'll get into the text. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for all the things that You had written down for us so that we could learn, so that we could turn our hearts to You. Father, I thank You for this passage about idolatry and how wicked and how foolish it is. Father, teach us. Change us and and mold us and shape us so that we can be joyful followers of You. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you'll turn with me, Either in your Bible or in your journal. We're going to be in chapter 44 today. And then I'm going to close this reading with a quick verse from from chapter 57. Um, I'm going to start on verse 9. I'm not going to read the whole chapter today. So verse 9 through 20 is, is the focus today. Hear the word of the Lord. All who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. 
The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes it into a god, his idol. and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Skipping forward into chapter 57. God's saying, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them all away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. This is the word of the Lord. So I have three, three points that I want to share with you this morning to kind of structure our, our, our thoughts. Um, the first one is that idolatry makes no sense. Idolatry makes no sense. The second, idolatry makes us senseless. It makes us senseless. And the third is that idolatry is closer than we think. Um, let's begin. Idolatry makes no sense. God in this passage is mocking the idol maker. Now God in Psalm 1 tells us he is no respecter of mockers. God hates mockers. But God sometimes mocks. How, is the, how can this be? How can God hate mockers and yet mock? What is it to mock? It's to implicitly claim superiority. Right? God doesn't have to claim it. He has it. It's okay for God to mock because he's never wrong. But when humans mock and claim a false superiority and a smugness, oh, God hates that. And Psalm 1 reminds us of that. But there's other places. But God, in this case, is mocking the idol maker. And he's using Isaiah to do it. What's the, what's the gist here? What's going on? There's, a, there's several problems with, with what this idol maker, what these two idol makers are doing. One of them is using metal. One of them is using wood. But the one who, who's using wood, what does he do? He, he cuts down a tree, cuts it in half, takes it. Part of it, he cooks his food, and, and part of it, he crafts this idol to worship. Well, the metal worker, if we, could, if we look at what's happening here in this creative process, the metal worker gets weary while working on his idol. And think of that in contrast to the holy God, the creator, who does not grow weary and who doesn't lose his strength. His strength never fails. So this man creating a thing gets tired. He gets weary. He gets hungry. But the creator that he's emulating never gets tired. Never gets hungry. 
The woodworker, what does he do? He first plants a tree. And how does the tree grow? The Scripture says it's nourished by the rain. And where does the rain come from? It comes from God, the ultimate Creator. So this, this Creator, this man, he can't, even do, he can't even do his idolatry without God's blessing on the earth. But he takes this tree that's been nourished by the rain and he cuts it. He's part of the wood to make a fire, to warm himself, because he's immortal. He is amortal, not immortal. He's immortal and he needs to be warmed and he needs to be fed and he needs to be strengthened by food. So he uses this wood that he cut down to cook and to warm himself. And this is fun. This is a good thing. This wood is not sacred. It has no power. And God has given it to God has given us these resources to use for our benefit. Right? God, God has given man the authority over this, this tree. And the man is using his authority. He has the power over it. And he destroys it. He destroys this wood simply for his comfort. He doesn't even think about it. This isn't a moral or ethical question for him. But then it gets strange. Because the other part of the wood, after he's just destroyed the one for his own comfort, temporary comfort, he takes the other part and crafts an idol. And he takes extra care to mark it off and measure it out and make it, make it beautiful to look like a human form. And then he sits down, bows down to it and prays. Deliver me for you or my God. That's what he says to this thing that he's created. Now we can look at this as Isaiah does. It is ridiculous on its face. Is it not? This man makes a thing that is made out of perishable wood. And then he bows down and worships it. It is ridiculous. And we'd be right to to recognize that. And we may not literally bow down to idols. We probably don't, although there are many people in the world who do. But we can still be foolish. We can still make some of these mistakes that this, this man makes. When we forget who should get the credit for our blessings. He's giving the credit to this idol, isn't he? And, and asking for this idol to help him. And we can forget. We can work hard sometimes, just like in our Sunday school lesson today. We can work hard. God can give us benefit. And then we fail to give him the blessing for what he's, what he's blessed us with. And we, we take our credit for ourselves. Or we give, it to some, we give credit to some other thing. What about when we put our confidence in things that we think we can control? This man has built this idol, made this idol that he can control. He can hold it in his hand and he can place it in his house. And he can govern where that idol goes and what that idol can do. We, th- we have things in our lives that we think we can control or we can control partially. And we want to put our trust in those things. Sometimes in our career. Sometimes in the things that we've learned or can do. Sometimes in money. We can pile up a stack of money and put our confidence in that. I have a 401k. And I know, and this is a very carnal thing, but to look at the balance and see it grow gives me comfort. But that's not godly. That's a, that's a very practical thing. If, if I put too much money, too much trust in that, and I forget where that comes from, from His blessing, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm in the wrong place. We can put our confidence in relationships and friends. We can put our, our focus on them to the point of ignoring God. Family and friends. And family is a huge blessing from God. 
But it's a blessing from God. It isn't God. God needs to be number one. And our family number two after God. And everything we do with our family in the context of worshiping God. What about our reputations? If we have a public reputation or a private reputation, maybe we've groomed it over years and that can be precious to us, right? But what is that next to God? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We die, we perish, we go away. Our reputations go with us. They don't last, they're gone. But God and His provision, His promises, those last. His are trustworthy. Ours are fleeting. Now at a broader level, at a society level, we struggle with these things too. We can trust in politics. We can trust in our leaders to try to fix the problems that we see. And we can be very upset when they fail to deliver. And we can, and we can hope that the, the next one that's coming along is going to fix the problem that the last one failed to. But we, we forget to trust God. And recognize that no matter who's in charge, God's really in charge. Whoever looks like they're in charge and we can see with our eyes, it's really God. God's in charge all the time. Are you going to trust these politicians or do we trust God? Right now, in our, I'm, in, I'm in IT at work. And uh, so I'm kind of soaked and bathed in all this technology conversation that's constantly going on. And I'm an engineer, so I, I enjoy it anyway. But, but our society today puts way too much trust in technology. We, we think that technology is going to solve our problems and that, and that science is going to deliver all the answers to all the mysteries and we don't even need God anymore because science is going to figure it all out. And this is almost a perfect mirror of what we see with Isaiah's idol maker. Because what is science other than the application of the brains God's given us to try and figure out a little bit more about the world, detail by detail, this world that God has given us, that's all science is. It's figuring out a little bit more detail, bit by bit, about what God's given us. And technology is what? It's the work of our hands that we make, right? For us to turn around and put our trust in the things we make, we're no smarter than this idol maker who made a little piece of wood and turns around and said, oh, deliver me. You're my God. We can't, we can't do that. As advanced as the technology gets, it's still the things that we make with our hands and we can't trust it. We've got to trust God. The one who made us, that's the one that we can trust. The giver, the source, the one true God, not the things that we make. So what have you put your trust in besides God? Will you ask Him to help you trust Him where you're tempted to trust other things? Whether it's yourself, whether your achievements, whether things you don't yet have yet. Ask God to help you trust Him. Look to Him. Our second point, idolatry makes us senseless. In verse 18 it says, They know not, nor do they discern, for He has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. Isaiah is saying they're senseless in two ways. We see idolatry makes no sense. And now we're saying that it makes us senseless when we pursue it. There's two things. They can no longer see. So they don't, they've lost their sense of sight. And they can no longer understand. So the very the mental sense is gone. They've lost their, their ability to understand and comprehend. 
Psalm 135 tells us the same thing, but expands on it a little bit. And we become, basically Psalm 135 is telling us we become like what we worship. This came out in Sunday school last week. But Psalm 135 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And those who make them become like them, so do all who trust them. These idols, that's the scripture from Psalm 135. These idols have the shapes of eyes and ears and mouths. But there's no sight, there's no hearing, and there's no breath of life in them. Those who worship them become like them, blind, deaf, and dead. Blind, deaf, and dead. That's what these idols are. And when we worship them, we become like them, senseless. If we worship a false god made of stone, metal, or wood, or some other technology, because these things seem so primitive to us, we have... So much more sophisticated things now that we can put our trust in. But they're still just material. And if we worship things like that, we become as senseless as that thing. But if we worship the one true God, we can become more like Him. But if we're going to worship that one true God, we should better spend time understanding about who He is and what He's like. Right? When we worship a just God... We learn to love justice and we become more just. Our God is a just God. When we worship a pure and holy God, He will make us pure and holy. When we worship a generous God, we become more generous. If we worship a harsh and judgmental God, we are likely to become harsh and judgmental on ourselves and on others. When we worship a God of grace and mercy, we become gracious and merciful. When we worship an all-powerful God, we become confident and bold in His power. We know that He has the power to deliver. When we worship a forgiving God, we learn to forgive. When we worship a humble God, one who, who for, for God, forgoes His place in heaven to come down with us, when we worship this humble God, we can learn to be humble. This God who washes the feet of His people And tells us no one can be above his master. So if you want to be with me, you've got to be a servant. This is our God, humble. And if we're going to worship the one true God, we need to understand what he is like. And as we worship him, we become more like him. Not like a a worthless idol. Finally, idolatry is closer than we think. We need to think clearly about what idolatry is and and what it is not. Idolatry, and there's a lot of conversation uh, and a lot of teaching out there, and I won't won't dispute it directly, but some of it is a bit metaphorical to me to say that idolatry is anything that comes between you and God or anything that that attracts your attention that's not God. But but I, I would probably take a little tighter definition of what idolatry is. Idolatry clearly is worshiping things which aren't God. Praying to them, bowing down before them, putting your trust in them, yes. That can be idolatry. Israel in the golden calf. Clear idolatry. They made a statue and they worshipped it, right? Not only did they make the thing, they introduced it. When they introduced this calf, they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They gave it credit for what God had done. Directly credit. Solomon, 
At the, even after he had just built the temple to the one true God on the mountain in Jerusalem, you know what the next thing he did is? He built shrines to false gods on the hill across the valley, the Mount of Olives. That's, that's the hill that we know of as, as garden, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. If you can just imagine that, we think of that as a holy place. Solomon built shrines to Molech there on that mountain in Jerusalem. So yes, that's real idolatry, right? Building real shrines to idols and false gods. Um, so idolatry is not just any sin. And if we look at David and Solomon for just a moment, we see that David committed all kinds of sins, but he didn't commit idolatry. He committed adultery. He betrayed his friend. He murdered his friend. He, he lied and did all kinds of wicked things. But when God passed judgment on Solomon and stripped away the kingdom from him, he said that David had been faithful to serve him only. Isn't that interesting? And we know what David did. But God's summary was that David was faithful. Let me read you this verse really quickly from 1 Kings. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. So it's saying that Solomon had gone after these idols while David had been pure, seeking after the Father, right? Seeking after God. But we know the things that David did. And by some interpretations, we might be tempted to say, well, you know, we know David was checking out Bathsheba. Maybe he, maybe he was worshiping this idol of lust. Well, God said no. Sin? Yes. Did he sin? Yeah. Was it adultery? Yeah. Did he murder his friend? Yes. His loyal companion? Yeah, he did those things. But God didn't accuse David of idolatry. Solomon? What did Solomon do? He married 700 women and had 300 more as concubines. But you know what? That doesn't even show up in this verse. Because what shows up is that he worshiped false gods. God hates this stuff. And it's a big deal. So, we see that David was not sinless. But he, but he wasn't an idolater. And Solomon, for all his sin, it was the idolatry that God condemned and stripped away the kingdom for it. Now think of it this way. I'm married to Connie. And I've never cheated on her. Does that make me the perfect husband? <laughs> no. No, she's right here, so I can't say, I can't claim that. No, far from it. I'm grumpy sometimes. Maybe even more than sometimes. I'm impatient sometimes. I sometimes expect and demand grace from her when I'm unwilling to give it myself. Hopefully you guys are never doing those things. I have failed to honor her special dates at times. I've said unkind things. I've sometimes left my little messes for her to clean up. I'm sure you guys have never done that. I've even stolen food from her plate. I've robbed the leftover Thai food from the refrigerator. <laughs> Guilty. But I haven't cheated on her, right? That's probably why she's still here. <laughs> and it's like that. This idolatry, it's cheating on God. That's what it is. And God has no tolerance for it. Um, 
This illustration is all through Scripture. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in the other prophets. That God views His people as a wife in a very real way. And when the wife cheats, it's a big, big deal. Big deal. Right? All through the prophets we see this. The whole book of Hosea is dedicated to this as a metaphor. And God, God picked out specifically a wife that would not be faithful to Hosea. Just to show Israel, this is what you're doing to me. Right? In the New Testament, Paul, Paul tells us, as a teaching for husbands and wives, that their bodies don't even belong to themselves. That the wife's body belongs to the husband and the husband's body belongs to the wife. That's the lesson. And then the same person, Paul, tells us that our bodies don't even belong to ourselves. They really belong to God. That our right and, and proper sacrifice is to give ourselves to Him completely. Right? We're not our own. We were bought with a price. That's what Paul tells us. So this, this idea of idolatry is serious. It's cheating. But there is hope. Even though we're unfaithful. In Ezekiel 36, another one of the prophets. And Ezekiel has a lot of things to say, but in this, in this fairly famous passage, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel is saying, God's promising, He's going to take the idols away. He's going to cleanse us from our idolatry, from our evil. He's going to make it right. Even when we don't. A few thoughts to conclude this morning. Idolatry makes no sense. We know that. We can see, you can see in the scripture, God actually mocks it. The foolishness of it. And when we look at it on its face, we can mock it too. But that doesn't mean we don't ever do things that don't make sense. Sometimes we don't. If we have a clear instruction from God and we don't obey it. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But, but you know what? As long as there's still breath in us, it's not too late. God gives us another chance. So is there something that you need to follow God on? Do you need to, do you need to step forward in some way that He's been calling you to obedience? Has, has He been calling you to faith? And you've been resisting. He will keep calling. Sometimes he'll stop calling. Don't wait till he stops. Obey him. Idolatry makes us senseless. In our scripture today, it actually says that because of their idolatry, he's closed their ears. What is he saying? That God closed their ears. That's a scary, scary thing to think. That we could hear for a time, but after a while, God may actually close our ears if we refuse to listen to him. And then we can't hear anymore. Idolatry makes us senseless. We don't want that. Idolatry is cheating on God. Let's not do that either. Right? We know how important it is to be faithful in our human relationships. How much more important to be faithful in our relationship to God. To give Him the glory. To trust Him with the things we need to trust Him with. That He's asked us to trust Him with. That we know we can trust Him with. That's what He wants, is to be trusted and believed. 
to give Him the praise for the things that He does and don't ascribe it to, to chance or to, to probability or whatever other things, coincidence. When He blesses us, let the blessing be real. Let the blessing come from God and acknowledge His work in our lives. So let's pray and then we'll have a brief time of response. And, and uh, anyone can come up if they want to come up and pray. If they want to talk to me, um, I'm happy to talk to anybody about any decision that they want to make or any questions or, or other things that they want to talk about. Um, and the musicians, if you want to come up and, and uh, be, be prepared for our closing time.